Hello, I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to The West Block. Late on Friday, after two weeks of railway blockades by Indigenous communities and activists across the country opposing the coastal gas link LNG project, the Prime Minister said his government had been patient, but it was time to move on. Take a listen. The situation as it currently stands is unacceptable and untenable. Everyone involved is worried. Canadians have been patient. Our government has been patient. But it has been two weeks and the barricades need to come down now. And here's the reality. Every attempt at dialogue has been made, but discussions have not been productive. We can't have dialogue when only one party is coming to the table. For this reason, we have no choice but to stop making the same overtures. Of course, we will never close the door on dialogue, and our hand remains extended should someone want to reach for it. In fact, Ministers Miller and Bennett just got off a call with the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chief just minutes ago. But the fact remains. The barricades must now come down. The injunctions must be obeyed, and the law must be upheld. Hereditary chiefs and Mohawk leaders responded, holding their own press conference. Here is Chief Vo's Wet'suwet'en hereditary chief. And we heard Prime Minister Trudeau talking about the inconvenience that Canada has, has suffered. However, there is a difference between inconvenience and injustice. Total difference. Don't confuse one with the other. There's a big difference. He did, he, he did mention the historic wrongs of the past. And he did mention a few things as well that I will go through. Today, the Mohawk people and the Wazudan people stood in solidarity at the Mohawk Council House in Kienanega to affirm that they will not stand by and watch while Wazudan title and rights over their lands are ignored and while human rights abuses continue to happen in the Wazudan territory. Both the Wazudan hereditary chiefs and the Mohawk people of Tiendanega remain deeply concerned by the myriad of laws that Canada has broken, including Wazudan law. The Canadian Constitution, the Supreme Court of Canada, Delcamook decision of 1997, UNDRIP, and the Geneva Convention on Genocide. They want to remind Canada and the world that would Wet'suwet'en land was never ceded or surrendered, and as such, Canada's actions amount to an illegal occupation in Wet'suwet'en territory. They also want to remind the Canadian government that the rail line shutdowns could have been ended many, many days ago if only Canada, BC, CGL, and the RCMP had honoured their own laws as well as the respected Wet'suwet'en laws. 
but not all Indigenous leaders share these views. Elected band council members for the Wet'suwet'en First Nations support the project. So do all other band councils along the LNG pipeline's path. All of this has raised questions about who speaks for the Indigenous communities and whether this is a key moment for reconciliation. Joining me now from Victoria is Ellis Ross, former chief counselor for the Heisla First Nation and now liberal critic for the LNG and resource portfolio. Ellis, you know, you've had a chance to participate in LNG projects and you believe that they're fundamentally good for Indigenous communities. Why do you believe that? Because we spent the last 15 years in environmental assessment and the reviewing permits and actually engaging the consultation accommodation process as laid out uh, by the provincial federal governments as well as with uh, the companies themselves. And you've said that you, you don't believe that the blockades here are actually representative of what the Wet'suwet'en people want, that you don't believe the Wet'suwet'en people are actually behind the blockades. If that's the case when you have the hereditary chiefs who are visiting out in Ontario and Quebec thanking the Mohawk for that, uh, who do you think is actually behind them? That's a really good question because the Wet'suwet'en band members are starting to speak out now and saying that they don't want those blockades up. They don't want to see Canada shut down. The elected chief and councils of those four or five communities have said that they're not behind it. And even Aboriginals, I'm pretty sure Aboriginals across BC do not want to see those blockades. Uh, and that they, they don't want to see it escalate to the point where Aboriginals are actually get accosted on the streets. I mean, th th this is setting back reconciliation 20 years. Are you worried that if the blockades continue or, or if they resurface in the future that there could be violence, that this could be something that uh, becomes very serious and physically threatening for Indigenous people? Oh, it's already happening. Uh, the Aboriginal people are already in grocery stores uh, getting confronted by people that uh, just want to go to work. They don't like to see their lives disrupted. And these average Aboriginals, they're not political. They don't have an opinion on pipelines or blockades or anything like that. They just want to get along with their lives, just like regular Canadians. So yes, I'm very concerned. Plus, with all the, the violence talk on social media, that's very concerning. So if you don't believe the Wet'suwet'en are, are behind this and you believe that Indigenous people largely back LNG projects, why aren't we hearing more of those voices speaking out right now? Well, they haven't been given a spotlight. Uh, they're trying to, to have their public meetings in Houston, for example. They're trying to go out on social media. Uh, there, there's uh, members like Candace George, and uh, there's elders from those communities that are trying to get out and talk. But basically, the, 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 the major media outlets are not put them in a spotlight. It's just not, uh, it, it just doesn't fit the narrative. And uh, mean, meantime, the political leaders, Aboriginal or not, are actually making this situation even worse. It's actually dividing Canada with all this misinformation and false statements. So what do you think those false statements are? Well, there's a couple of Aboriginal leaders that say that the reconciliation is dead. And these blockades is actually the opposite of reconciliation. Reconciliation is supposed to be the idea of balancing Aboriginal rights and title with the, the greater interest of the larger society. So these groups that are going out there that are actually using a certain name and using Aboriginal names are actually doing this to, to cause a divide. And that, that, that's the opposite of reconciliation. What would you advise the government to do in this situation? Stop taking your advice from these leaders that are using the wrong narrative. Stop. The, the, those leaders are coming out and using the terms colonialist, assimilated, settlers. Those are racist terms, and, and you're angering a lot of people. I don't use those terms ever. Stop using it, and that's a, such a hypocritical thing to say as well. I see these leaders using those terms and yet 
they have bank accounts, they have good salaries, they're driving good cars, they got good RSPs, nice houses, and yet they call everybody else colonial constructs. Stop with the hypocrisy, please. That's where we got to start and get back to facts. Does that mean that you think that the police should be called in or, or that the army should have been called in to clear these barricades earlier? No, I, I don't think that should have been happening. What I think is that this shouldn't have been allowed to be escalated with all the political rhetoric from all these people coming in and actually using Aboriginals and using with suit and name and not telling 99% of the story of what happened in our region for the last 15 years. There's extensive records of consultation and accommodation. There's extensive wording around agreements that talk about training, revenues, uh, employment. Uh, there's even uh, contracts that talk about setting up the camps in the First Nations names under joint ventures. There's a tremendous amount of work here and now we got these fly-by-night politicians coming in that are trying to destroy everything, including the unity BC and the chiefs. There are people that say, who do you know who to negotiate with here? Because you're saying you don't believe that the hereditary chiefs represent what the majority of the Wet'suwet'en community want, but there are Indigenous leaders who are saying, look, the elected chiefs are imposed colonial system. They're not legitimate. The hereditary chiefs are the tradition. They need to be at the table. And if they disagree, that's a substantial issue. No, I've never said that the hereditary chiefs don't represent the communities. I never said that. What I've said was Aboriginal rights and title is a communal right, meaning the Aboriginal rights and title belongs to the community. So it only stands to reason that the community should decide who represents them in, the, in that equation. In terms of uh, the representation of 203 bands in BC, every band has a different leadership structure. Some have elected, some have hereditary, some have hybrid. It's not up to anybody to go in there and say, oh, elected band councils are only have jurisdiction on reserve. That is so condescending and that's a wrong narrative to send. You're trying to destabilize these communities and you're trying to delegitimize the work that elected band leaders and hereditary leaders have done over the last 15 years, not only to provide uh, jobs and employment and a way out of poverty, but also to breathe life into the word reconciliation. What about communities who have said clearly that they don't want this on every level, that they are unanimous in that or that they clearly have a majority and both the hereditary and elected chiefs are on the same side? Do you think that there should still be natural resource projects run through those First Nations? Well, which communities are you talking about? Because all 20 communities from Prince George to Kitimat, including one down channel, the Gitgat, have all signed on to this LNG project. I think more in the, in, the, in the larger context of it, when the government is figuring out how to move these projects forward, they have to figure out how they negotiate and who they talk to. So I, I'm curious about your perspective on whether First Nations should be able to say no. Is, is consultation a veto? No, consultation is not a veto. In fact, my band, our success is based on Aboriginal rights and title case law. And our success is based on determining, okay, what is good for the band member? Let's not do what's just good for my band council. Let's not what's do what's good for the Union of BC and the Chiefs. Let's do what's good for the member who wants to get out of crippling poverty. Let's do it for the next generation that we feel should not have to suffer through the same issues that we went through. So every band has got to, if you really want to get back to basics, start reading up on Aboriginal rights and title case law and stop clouding the issue with, say, the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People, which is a political document that's meant to undermine Canada. I guess... You know, it's, it's tough for the government to figure out who to talk to in this case, but when you're looking at this scenario, and, and as you said earlier, you, you don't believe that the people who are blockading the tracks represent what the Wet'suwet'en people want. Um, where do you think that those money and resources are coming from then? That's a good question. 
Uh, Vivian Krauss has done a lot of work over this over the last 10 years to track all this foreign money coming in for the propaganda machines, not only to, to undermine our economy, but also that info, infiltrates our politics, our elections. And Elections Canada knows about this, and they refuse to do anything because the legislation is not there to actually do anything about it. In fact, in our legislature... So you think that this is, this is foreign money coming in? Oh, yeah. If, if you're fundraising in the United States, if you're fundraising in the United States and you're bringing it over, then, then that's foreign money. If you've actually got groups that are actually doing this kind of work in Canada here and you trace the money back over to uh, the, the big foundations in America, yeah, that's foreign money. What do you say to people who say you might have a political interest in all this because you were involved in negotiating that massive LNG project in B.C.? A political interest. That's an interesting question. You know what? My, my only goal in, term, in determining the, the, the fate of my people was whether or not I can get people out of poverty. And we succeeded. We got it. For the last five years, uh, band members in my community, they're not talking about the Indian Act. They're not talking about going to apply for welfare. They're not talking about any of the, the issues I had to deal with. So my political interest, yeah, I, well, I want to see Canada's shame get resolved. And that means getting Aboriginals to a level, a standard level of living that Canadians take for granted. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Premiers across the country, led by Saskatchewan's Scott Moe, called for action last week. And Quebec Premier Francois Legault was prepared to send in the police to dismantle the blockades. Late last week, I spoke with Premier Scott Moe following the Prime Minister's press conference. Here's that conversation. Uh, Premier Moe, you heard what the Prime Minister had to say on Friday. A pretty significant change in tone for the government. What did you make of that press conference? Well, I, I think it in many ways very much mirrored the uh, the conference call that we had with all of the premiers uh, last evening uh, as the Council of Federation had requested a call with the, the Prime Minister to discuss what is uh, becoming an increasingly urgent situation uh, in the rail blockades and how that those rail blockades are impacting uh, Canadians from coast to coast to coast, uh, uh, both on exports of our products but also on imports of products that we need in our communities. So uh, this is uh, very much mirrors some of the language uh, that we have been using all along uh, in the fact that uh, that uh, these barricades uh, do need to come down they are illegal barricades and uh, if and the court injunctions uh, do need to be uh, enforced if the barricades are not removed when you had that call did you get any kind of a sense of the timeline before there is actual police enforcement action uh, we, we discussed uh, uh, time frames uh, with respect uh, to how long it has uh, been already uh, that we have blockades in place. Uh, we discussed uh, time frames of, of previous actions where injunctions have been uh, put in place in, in provinces uh, already and have been uh, enforced by the law enforcement agencies uh, in those provinces. Um, and we also uh, discussed the fact that Canadians have been very patient uh, with uh, what has been an increasingly urgent uh, situation in these blockades and, and how we are moving product uh, across this nation. Um, and uh, the 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 time frames uh, moving forward uh, cannot be uh, that long on behalf of all Canadians as that patience is wearing thin and that patience is, is not unlimited. And uh, the Prime Minister, I believe, has, has indicated just that today. Uh, and he has also uh, indicated that uh, dialogue is, is always available. Um, however, um, these blockades cannot be in place uh, for, for the long term.
Do you think that Prime Minister Trudeau took too long to take this tone and, and to insist that the blockades had to come down? Well, the Prime Minister has been uh, making efforts and his ministers have been making efforts to dialogue and I believe they will continue to make efforts uh, to dialogue uh, with these the, the hereditary chiefs and those involved uh, across across Canada with these illegal blockades. Um, the fact of the matter is is that uh, the language uh, that we have seen uh, today, uh, we are, as, as the province of Saskatchewan, uh, we're very thankful. Um, this is uh, does provide us a path forward. It does uh, uh, provide uh, all of those, including law enforcement agencies, uh, uh, the very clear, um, the very clear. Um, uh, indication that uh, it is not only uh, governments like the government of Saskatchewan, but uh, the government of Canada and many other governments, as well as the vast majority of Canadians, uh, that expect our laws uh, to be enforced. Uh, then they most certainly, uh, when the courts have deemed uh, a law to be broken and have provided an injunction, uh, that those injunctions are are acted on and uh, and the the. It acted on uh, at the discretion of the of the pertaining law of law enforcement agency, but most certainly uh, they are acted on. And I hear what you're saying there, but does that mean you think the prime minister should have come out and made a statement like this before Friday? Well, it's, it, that's on the Prime Minister uh, to say when he is going to make a statement uh, like this. But I, but I would say this, uh, Mercedes, uh, in, this, in this nation, uh, in this, this Western democracy that we all know, value and love, um, there, we live in a place where there are pillars and fundamentals uh, in order for that democracy to work. Uh, the first is that legislators and parliamentarians uh, uh, actually uh, create the laws in our country and they are elected uh, to do just that. Uh, the courts will interpret those laws and our law enforcement agencies uh, will all ultimately uh, enforce those laws. Uh, they have the discretion as to how uh, they enforce those laws, um, but the, whether or not uh, they actually enforce those laws is, is not at their discretion. What would you say to Indigenous Canadians who say this is the only way to get the government's attention, that this is the, the land where the Wet'suwet'en are, is unceded land, there is not uh, an ability for the elected council to simply make a decision, and that this is sort of the crucible moment where reconciliation can happen, but the only way to get there was through these kinds of blockades? I, I would say uh, take your blockades down and engage in dialogue uh, with governments uh, that that uh, you feel uh, need to be dialogued with. And most certainly I know the government of BC has been open to dialogue with Indigenous communities. The government of Canada has been open to dialogue with Indigenous communities. Uh, us in Saskatchewan have been very open over the course of the last number of years of not only dialoguing but engaging uh, our Indigenous communities and, and, and people uh, in the economy uh, here in the province. And the fact of the matter is, and we mustn't forget, um, that of the 20 Indigenous communities along this pipeline's route, uh, they have been uh, consulted with by by the company and they have uh, uh, granted uh, their their partnership and their approval uh, with the project uh, as it goes so uh, th there has been uh, consultation I believe over the last six years uh, that has been in place and and uh, if there's further dialogue that must happen it must happen uh, while not breaking the law what about indigenous Canadian leaders who say but it's not dialogue because they're not willing to stop construction on the pipeline and that's one of their fundamental demands uh, but the, the, with respect uh, to the consultation um, on the pipeline, all 20 communities along that route have been uh, have been engaged and have uh, been engaged along every step of the of the process. Uh, that has occurred, and uh, and and the project has has met the parameters that, that are in place with respect uh, to uh, the, what the province of British Columbia has uh, in place. Uh, so the dialogue uh, that can happen, I, I would say, uh, nothing could be uh, further uh, from 
where we actually are as a nation in engaging with our Indigenous uh, communities and our Indigenous leaders. Uh, you don't have to break the law uh, to have dialogue with uh, government officials uh, from province to province and, and at the federal level. Uh, that has been open. That offer has been there. We've seen it's been there most certainly the last couple of weeks, um, or the last few days for sure, uh, from federal ministers. Um, and I, I believe the same is true in British Columbia, and I believe the same is true in, in many provinces, if not each and every province. I know that there are a lot of Canadians who are frustrated by these blockades, and, and you've highlighted that. But Conservative leadership candidate Peter McKay put out a tweet, which he later deleted, uh, praising one person who showed up uh, at the rail blockade near Edmonton and started taking it apart. People criticized that. They said that it encourages vigilantism. What did you make of Mr. McKay's tweet? Um, I, I didn't see his uh, precise tweet, although I did uh, hear hear about it. Uh, listen, uh, the, the, what happened in, in Edmonton, uh, while the injunction, I believe, was being put together and quite likely the law enforcement was uh, putting together uh, how they were going to enforce the injunction uh, that the courts uh, had that some of the members of the public uh, moved in and dismantled uh, the blockade that was there in a very non-confrontational way, uh, which, for which we are all thankful and fortunate. Um, uh, but the, the, and I think this speaks uh, to the patients. Uh, that is not unlimited uh, uh, in, in Canadians, uh, not just in Edmonton, so, but so across does that the mean, nation though, with uh, what is uh, and increasingly uh, an illegal actions. But, but, Premier, does that mean that you approve of those actions of people actually going up to the barricades themselves who are not police and dismantling them? I know that means I'm thankful uh, that this was done uh, in a non-confrontational way and there was was no confrontation uh, that took place and I'm also thankful that the barricade uh, was removed um, but I'm also uh, uh, very hopeful and uh, quite confident in the competency of our law enforcement agencies across this across this nation of Canada that they can as they have proved to many times when the injunctions are filed uh, that they will seek uh, to enforce those injunctions. Premier Scott Moe, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Mercedes. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening. For the West Block, I'm Mercedes Stevenson.